for that event. It's uh, called Healing the Family Feud, an answer for peace in the Mideast and Marin. And um, it will feature Khalida Wukowitz, who is a former Muslim, who is born in Bethlehem, has an extraordinary life story, and she has a deep love for the Jewish people. And you may know that that's pretty unusual for a Palestinian girl to love the Jews. And I have a deep love for her, and that's pretty unusual for a Jewish girl to have a deep love for Palestinians. So there's something going on there. I wonder what it is. What's that missing ingredient there? Hallelujah. He said his name. So if you want to be part of this event and be blessed by it, because I do think it's going to be a blessing, it's going to be at 7 o'clock up at Marin Covenant Church in San Rafael, the one above the AAA. If you go up that road, that's behind the AAA at uh, Smith Ranch Road. So that's where that is at. Okay. My brother, my brother, (laughs) would you please pray for the word today? Dear Heavenly Father, we once again come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And once again, Lord, uh, Michelle, your servant, Lord, who's coming as a vessel. And I'm praying that you will fill her vessel, Lord, and open our, once again, open our ears, Lord, and our hearts to receive this precious word that she has to give to us today. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Like my dear sisters here, I sometimes have a problem with my mouth. And um, it was that some event, I don't even remember what happened, but it was no good. It happened somewhere around uh, December. So that when it came time to write my New Year's resolutions for 2015, this is what I wrote, to be less about me, to let Christ shine through me, particularly with difficult encounters, to die to self. Now, I wrote that, I wrote that, that I had a New Year's resolution to die to self, knowing going into it that I really don't know what that means very much and that I'm really just learning. And I've been praying throughout the year that the Lord would teach me what that means. What does that mean, to die to self? Because that's what we're called to do. In fact, um, Jesus said to his disciples in um, Matthew 16, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But oddly, you know, while we're denying ourselves, he also gives us a promise about something that we're going to gain. So he kind of knows that we're self-serving even when we're dying to ourselves, Because he tells us, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So even while I'm being selfless, I can also just be a little bit selfish and know that when I'm being selfless, I'm going to get something really better than what I put aside. And I'm talking about you guys too. This is what we have before us. And he's, he's the living example of what it means to die to self. When we look at what that taking up the cross, he said, he said he must, those who follow him must take up their cross. Now that was before he had taken up his cross. But yet, at that time, they knew what he was talking about because the person who was the criminal who was going to be crucified was expected to carry their own cross up to their own crucifixion. Did you know that? So this was a known activity. To say to take up your cross meant that you were that criminal who was taking up the means of your own death and you were going to carry it in front of everybody. Everybody was going to be looking at you and spitting on you and cursing you, and humiliating you, and rejecting you, while you got ready to go be 
exposed to the most excruciating form of death that had ever been devised by man. Long, ugly death on the cross. So he was saying, you know, be prepared to embrace your death if you're going to follow me. Um, Jesus took up his cross to fulfill the purposes of God the Father, didn't he? Because God had a greater purpose, was really for our benefit. So there was a selflessness that benefited us. We are the beneficiaries of his selflessness because he took up the cross for us. But we're supposed to do that too. We're supposed to take up the cross, which means that someone else could benefit from our suffering. We put our needs aside so that someone else can benefit. So, you know, I'm, I'm just really learning, but I, I can't say that I fully understand it. But as I was in my routine reading of the Bible recently, I, as I was preparing to, to speak before you, the Lord pointed out this chapter of 1 Samuel that I was reading and said that this is a little bit about dying to self. So this is a good place to start studying about it. And so we're going to read 1 Samuel 25 today. How many of you are familiar with the story of King David when he meets Abigail and Nabal? Okay, we have one person. It's really not a story that gets preached about a lot. In fact, I don't think in my 11 years of being a follower of Jesus, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on 1 Samuel 25. I don't know why, because it's really got a lot of powerful information in it. And Sister Florence knows. She's going to help me preach today. So, if we can say that dying to self is always sort of before us as an option, we can choose it or we cannot choose it. We can choose it or we cannot choose it. We can insist on doing things in a way that's going to serve ourselves entirely, or we can do things in a way that puts ourselves aside. We see King David in 1 Samuel 25 faced with this choice. And we're going to look at what he did when he was faced with this choice. Uh, he was tempted by, of all things, revenge. When I was 13 years old and I went to Wilderd Junior High School in Berkeley, I was a rebellious little brat, and um, when the English teacher said, I'm going to ask you to memorize now, I found the quote that was the, the shortest on the list of, that she suggested, suggested memorizations. I found the one that would be the easiest because it had the fewest words, and that's the one I memorized. And I've actually had it all these years in my mind. I thought it was Shakespeare, but when I recently just prepared this word, I realized I didn't even know who said it. It wasn't Shakespeare at all. It was John Milton in Paradise Lost. And the, the memorization that I chose when I was 13 was revenge at first, though sweet, bitter ere long back on itself recoils. So. I've had that memorization in my mind for the last many, many years. I won't tell you exactly how many. And we're going to talk about revenge today. When we talk about revenge, we don't have to necessarily talk about the kind that David was tempted with in 1 Samuel 25, where he's got an army of 200 and they're going to basically kill an entire family off and household. We can, <laughs> my, my sisters were so 
bold as to discuss a kind of revenge that comes from our careless mouths. Um, thank you, Sister Anita, <laughs> for uh, bringing that up because most of us don't go when we're pissed off at somebody and feel the need to take revenge. We don't go get our gun and kill them. Some of us do, but most of us don't. But most of us do say, well, he's going to do that to me? Well, I'm not going to talk to him. Or I'll show you. I'm, I'm going to, whatever, little things. The little petty revenge. Petty, petty revenge. How many can honestly say, you don't have to raise your hand, that they are guilty of petty revenge? I mean, it occurs in marriage, sadly. I'm so guilty of it. I'm so guilty of it. You're not going to put my priorities first? Well, you want to see if I put yours first? (laughs) I mean, sadly. I'm, I'm like... I'm such a bad example, (laughs) really bad, which is why I need to teach you about it so that I might learn (laughs) myself. So when we're talking about the revenge that King David is tempted with, which we're about to read, personalize it for yourself. It's all about that spirit of offense. Someone offends you and you decide to take offense. Remember, we talk about take offense means you, you, you sit, you actually, you take it. I'm going to take that offense because it feels good. I am self-righteously indignant and he wronged me and I'm right and he's wrong. And it feels good. It's like eating a candy bar. Ugh. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, thank you. So feel free to personalize David's experience, even though it seems to be of a remote era, of a remote uh, you know, time and place. But really, it's about you and me. Setting the stage for 1 Samuel 25, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about what was going on with David at that time. You remember that when David was a kid, maybe 12 years old, maybe 14 or 15 at the most, He was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. The nation Israel wanted a king. And they wanted it even though it wasn't what God wanted for them. And so God pretty much said, you want a king so badly? I'll give you a king. And he gave them a king who wasn't so good. Saul, King Saul. Lots of problems with King Saul. And King Saul was not a king after God's own heart. Sometimes we just need mommy, and that's just the way it is. King Saul was not a man after God's own heart. And so it it happened shortly thereafter, after King Saul was disobedient to God's commands, that the Lord told the prophet Samuel, I I have got the king that I want, and you're going to go anoint him. And the prophet Samuel went to the house of Jesse, Jesse is David's father. Here was this runty little kid, the youngest, all these strapping, young, handsome sons. He was just a little shepherd boy. He was the one that God chose, and Samuel anointed him. But oddly, if you read in 2 Samuel, you find out that he didn't actually take to the throne until he was 30 years old. So what was going on in those maybe 15, maybe 18 years? 
That's the time period that our chapter takes place in. David was basically running away from Saul all the time because Saul was so jealous of him that he was trying to kill him. David had a small army. He was... um, He was, uh, my husband doesn't listen to me when I preach. And how in the world am I going to, how in the world am I going to be helped by your criticisms and your helpful judgments? <laughs> There's revenge for you. <laughs> you think we did, but sadly we didn't. Um, David was hiding in the wilderness from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. He had a small army with him. He spent some time hiding in caves uh, out in the outlanding areas, just living, camping out. He wasn't safe anywhere near Jerusalem. He wasn't safe anywhere near where Saul was. Actually, maybe they weren't in Jerusalem by then. Forget it. I don't have to go down that rabbit hole. In any case, he was being chased by Saul and he was hiding out in the wilderness. There was a behavior that those soldiers had, which inured to the benefit of the surrounding shepherds, which was that they protected them in exchange for favors. So David could have been expected to watch out for the shepherds and keep them protected. And that was the case with, uh, in 1 Samuel 25, he had, we'll read about it, he was protecting the shepherds and expected something in return. Starting with verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now there's a little parenthesis here. He stops himself in the middle of the sentence in order to tell us that the man's name was Naval. Naval means fool. And his wife's name was Abigail, which is what we say, Abigail. And Abigail means my father is joy. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite, descendant of Caleb. Well, we we know from his name that he was also a fool, because that's why he has the name Naval. Now we finish the sentence. It came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel that David heard in the wilderness that Naval was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Naval, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, he's speaking to Naval through his men now, Have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. What a nice way to start a greeting. Doesn't it sound like he's going to ask for something? I wish you all the best. I have good intentions for you. It's all good. Uh, By the way, I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that they were in Carmel. In other words, my soldiers didn't steal anything from your shepherds. We took care of your guys, and we know that you've come together For the shearing season, it's kind of like when the harvest is in and they go to the threshing floor. It's kind of like a big party. There's a lot of manpower involved in bringing about 
the harvest of the wool of the sheep. They're shearing all the sheep. And all these men have to be fed. So David's basically saying um, what he's going to say in verse 8. Ask your young men and they will tell you that we've been good to them. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give. Please give. Whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. It's a nice way of asking, isn't it? So... um, The request that he was making was a reasonable one. And in that time and in that context, it would have been considered as a tribute. I acknowledge that your men have been protecting my shepherds out in the field. You've been honorable. You haven't stolen anything from us. Therefore, I owe it to you to feed your men. I'm going to do that because I appreciate what you've done for me. That would have been an expected response. Kind of a tribute. Kind of a tribute. But what is his response? It's not that at all. When David's young men came, they spoke to Naval according to all these words in David's name, and then they waited. But Naval answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Who in the heck do you think you are? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Ooh, ooh. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meal that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men whose origin I do not know? Let's look at that answer from Naval before we go on. It shows that he either didn't know about or didn't care about God's anointing on David because he just put himself on the wrong team there. Because God had chosen David. So who in the heck did he think he was going against that, the anointing of God? He was already putting himself in a very dangerous position by doing that. And we kind of know from later on when we hear his wife Abigail speak, we kind of know if she knew that David was anointed king, he he must have probably known too. It was known abroad. It was known in Israel that David had been anointed king. So here Nabal has made a very foolish decision to go against the will of God. And he's doing it, maybe just a rejection of God's will. Uh, And instead of referring to him as a king, he refers to him basically as a runaway slave. Like, who are you? Many servants have run away from their masters. In other words, you are nobody. You don't even own yourself. Ooh. But really, it's also miserliness. He didn't want to share the food. Right? So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Oh, gosh, he's jumping right in. Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword. Oh, okay. He didn't even wait a minute. He's ready to go get him now. And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. So he's going with 400 men and their swords. Oh. Okay, but one of the young men told Abigail, 
Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us. David's men treated us really well. We were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went out with them while we were in the fields. They even, this young man even goes on to say in verse 16, There was a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. They were protecting them from all danger. So we see that David has a reason to be mad. He was doing the right thing. He was wronged by this response of Nabal, wasn't he? Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do. He's speaking to Abigail now. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. Good thing this warning came in. I mean, Naval was such a fool, so badly known, that, that this young man has the effrontery to speak to his wife and say that Naval is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. I mean, you'd have to be pretty bad. My husband would have to be pretty awful for somebody to come up to me and have the effrontery to say, you know, your husband, he's just... He's just really bad. (laughs) So he must have been really, really bad. Well, moving on to verse 18, we see that Abigail was indeed, as the Lord described her, an intelligent woman. So here's what she does. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. And she, she went and made some banana upside down cake as quick as she could and, <laughs> and threw in some butter brickle and, and everything she could find. Then she ran to the store and got some um, Tootsie Pops and just anything she could do to make it right. She said to her young man, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Naval. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David, David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all. Now he's working himself up now. He's working himself out. Surely. Oh, in vain, I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. Ooh, don't you do that sometimes? You've got to replay it. Work yourself up into a lather. Ooh. Oh, what he did to me. Ooh. He's so offended, and he's so in love with his offense. Mm. He's, he's just he's nursing it. He's nursing it. May God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Okay, there's his plot for revenge. But God, thank you. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. That was the first good idea. She showed him respect and reverence right away. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. 
and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. She took the blame. She took the blame for the insult. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Naval. For as his name is, so is he. Naval is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. It's my fault. I didn't know. I didn't know. She's kind of explaining herself and kind of taking the blame at the same time. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to this verse. It's really interesting. And as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Naval. Did the Lord restrain him from shedding blood? He's on his way to shed blood. Did the Lord stop him from avenging himself with his own hand? Seems to me that's where he's going right now. He's about to go do that. He's on his way to avenge himself by his own hand, and he's on his way. But she cleverly says, oh, now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood. She says it like it's a done deal, like she's already succeeded in that which she set out to do. Because in the next verse, she said, now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Let me give you the food. We made a mistake. It was my fault. And it's a good thing I caught you here because the Lord has restrained you from doing what you shouldn't have done. And, and here's, the, here's the food. Take the gift. So this is her tactic and her strategy for mollifying a man who is deeply offended and very much in danger of killing everybody in sight, right? She goes on, please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. Again, she's asking for forgiveness, taking the blame. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil will not be found in you all your days. Here, what is she doing? She's acknowledging that it is the Lord's will that David's house will endure. In other words, David is anointed king. She's acknowledging that the Lord's hand is on David. And where her husband failed to acknowledge that, she's acknowledging it. The Lord has given you an enduring house. What do we know about the house of David? Who came out of the house of David? Who's the son of David? Solomon. Who else is the son of David? Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, come and heal me. Remember that? Jesus is the son of David. And then when we talk about the enduring house that Abigail mentions, the enduring house of David includes the Messiah himself. And she's acknowledging that. Good job, Abigail. Now she goes on. Uh, 29. She goes on to pray for his safety. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. What do we know about David and a slingshot? 
So she's even acknowledging his very first victory in the name of the Lord. And when the Lord, not if the Lord, but when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there she is acknowledging again that he will be the ruler of Israel. This will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So what she's basically seeing, saying is, if you take all these people's lives, that's going to really mess up your authority as a king. When you take the throne, that's going to sully your reputation. You're going to have to live with that. It's ugly. It's senseless bloodshed. You don't want that on your hands, do you? You don't want that on your hands. Let the Lord be your avenger, right? Let the Lord be your avenger. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Naval until morning light as much as one male. I mean, he was that serious about making this bloodshed happen. Thank goodness for Abigail, huh? So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Oh, maybe he thinks he's the king. Not David. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about what just happened until the morning light. You know, why waste your word on somebody who's not even there and wouldn't remember? But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Naval, his wife told him these things. And what happened to Naval? His heart, his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Naval and he died. When David heard that Naval was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Naval and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Naval on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail. He took her as his wife. So she ended up marrying David, <laughs> which is an interesting twist. But do you notice... Do you notice that um, when it says that the Lord pleaded the cause of the reproach that he suffered at the hand of Naval, that the Lord did take action here. So David did not take action, but the Lord did take action. So if we keep our mouths shut, those of us who are loose-lipped and tend to offend and take revenge... What would happen if we didn't? Do you think perhaps maybe the Lord would step in where we had been wronged 
and make it right for us without our having to dirty ourselves, stain our hands with blood in a way. But did you ever notice also that we see that um, the Lord kept back his servant from evil? Why was it evil? And why is evil revenge? Do we know revenge belongs to the Lord? The battle is not ours. Let's talk about that for one second because the Lord in Deuteronomy 32:35 says vengeance is mine, which means it's not mine, it's his. But there's another beautiful little piece here that I'm going to try and weave in for you if you have the patience for it. I think I have the time to try and weave this new little angle in for you because it just so happens that in Leviticus chapter 19 and we're going to go there now Leviticus 19 the Lord specifically says in verse 18 you shall not take vengeance so it is actually a command of the Lord don't take vengeance So that's why we say, that's why David said that the Lord kept him from evil. Because it would have been against the command of the Lord to take vengeance. Let's talk a little bit about Leviticus 19. Pastor Fred and even Pastor Marcus both love these words. When the Lord says, you shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. That's how Leviticus 19 starts. And Leviticus 19 is really an interesting chapter in that it teaches us what it means to, how do we treat one another? How are we supposed to treat one another? So, for example, um, honor your mother and your father. Don't glean the corners of your harvest because you're supposed to take care of the needy and let them glean it. It's for the needy and the stranger. Don't steal. Don't lie to each other. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't rob him. Don't curse a deaf man because a deaf man won't hear you cursing him. And don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind man. A blind man won't see that you put it there. So you could get away with those little insults because the deaf man wouldn't hear you cursing and the blind man wouldn't see you put the stone in front of him. So you could get away with it, but don't do it. It's not right. And he finishes many of these Verses with the statement, I am the Lord. Don't slander. Don't hate your fellow countrymen. And then finally we get to this precious, precious verse, Leviticus 19.18, which is so deeply important to every single one of us. He says, don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took those words and he gave them new meaning. He gave that to us as a new commandment that goes with our new covenant that we have as followers of Jesus to love one another. To love one another. And it's in this context that we learn about Why taking revenge is evil. Why, when I try and make it right myself and avenge myself with my own hand, I'm actually going against the commands of the Lord. I'm also 
taking away an opportunity to watch him make it right for me. How often do we feel like the only way of handling an offense is to avenge ourselves? Nobody's going to stand up for me. I need to stand up for myself. And, and how many of us have seen the damage that's done when we take things into our own hands? Anybody here seen damage done when you take vengeance in your own hands? You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, Leviticus 19 begins. Holy is a word that means set apart for the exclusive purposes of God. And David, we know, was as an anointed king, he was set apart for the purposes of God, wasn't he? Saul was the king that the people chose. David was the king that the Lord chose. David was a man after God's own heart. Somebody please read out loud, whoever gets there first, Acts 13, verses 22 and 23. Acts 13, 22 and 23. Removed him, meaning removed Saul. There we go. That's enough. Thank you. That's a picture of how the Lord felt about his servant David. There's something else interesting about that verse 19:18 in Leviticus that says, "Do not take revenge, do not bear a grudge, but love your neighbor." Why would he put all those in the same verse and in, even in the same sentence? Because it's precisely when you feel offended and you want to take revenge and you want to bear a grudge, that's exactly when you're supposed to love your neighbor. Not when they just made you cookies. Not when they just offered to come over and clean your bathroom for you. It's exactly that. Don't take revenge. Don't bear a grunge, but love your neighbor. Oh, the one who just insulted me. Oh, the one who just offended me. That I want to lop off his head. That's the one I'm supposed to love. It's precisely when it's most difficult and least natural for us to love our neighbor that we're expected to love our neighbor. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Let's see how Jesus put that into words because Jesus, of course, talked about this. And I'm so glad it's in Matthew 5 because that's where Pastor's heading with his study of the Beatitudes. Um, Matthew 5. Verses 43 through 48. I'll read it for you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor. Where where did they hear it said that you should love your neighbor? Leviticus 19, 18. That's where they they knew that from. And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You mean David should have been praying for Naval? Hmm. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes 
his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, the ones who make you cookies, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, the nice people, what more are you doing than other people? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, and here's the beautiful symmetry of it. Here's how he ends that. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And what did we read at the beginning of Leviticus 19? You are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. And here he's using a different word, perfect. And I haven't done a word study why he chose perfect instead of holy and what perfect really means. But it's close enough for me. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Isn't that beautiful how symmetrical that is? You know, God is God in Leviticus, and he's God in Matthew. He's got the same message for us no matter where we open that book. God knows that we get offended. Otherwise, he wouldn't address it. He knows that we want to bear a grudge. He knows that we are sometimes seriously mistreated, abused, victimized, treated very badly by people. He knows that. It's how do we deal with those feelings that he wants to treat. He wants to do a work in our heart so that we're able to do that which does not come naturally. Now, a child, if you offend him, we had Hannah Grace's birthday party. She turned three. It got to where, you know, it was noisy. There's a lot of kids over there. If someone took a toy that she just got, she had a very simple response. She would just scream at the top of her lungs. But loud, because I'm holding back until she got her toy back. That's how, that's how we want to react when somebody hurts us. He wants to teach us to behave in a way that's completely unnatural to us. But it's what he wants because it's who he is. And that is to extend love when we are offended, to forgive when we are persecuted. It's, it's the holy anointed one of God who loves when he is offended. And Jesus himself was offended, carrying a cross, spit on, humiliated, on his way to being crucified, a death that he did not deserve by people who did not know who they were dealing with, who they were, and he yet forgave them. Okay, where can I go from here? I think it's important to say that as followers of Jesus, we are similar to King David in that we have been chosen to. In fact, he tells us, you did not choose me, I chose you. David was chosen, so were you. For a plan and a purpose that is in his hands. And we can make it very difficult and unpleasant for him by taking our revenge into our own hands. Or we can see what would happen happen if I let God take care of it.
What kind of faith would it take to trust that God balances the scales perfectly? He makes right that which is wrong. He restores balance. He deals with our enemies better than we could. And then we don't even have to get dirty along the way. That's why vengeance is his and not ours. And he has an expectation of us that by his grace we are going to be able to do the next to impossible, which is to love those who offend us. It's true, and we hear this from our pastor all the time, that if we are intent on taking things into our own hands, the Lord will not stand in our way. You insist on using your big mouth? You insist on not exercising self-control? You insist that your way is the best way to make this thing better? Uh, Go ahead. Let's see what happens. Let's see if your way works. Yes, sir. The meek is the one who denies himself, is the one who has died to self. The meek is the one who doesn't have a big ego and big self, sense of self. And the one who is meek is not the one who's going to go and try and avenge himself. So yes, I think you're right. The meek, those are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. He can trust them. That's why they're going to inherit the earth. He can trust them not to behave rashly, not to be reactive and take offense and behave foolishly because they didn't think about it first because they're so full of themselves and their offenses. That's not meek. That's puffed up. That's pride. I'm so important. I'm so important that he offended me. You know, that's all about me, me, me. The meek is the opposite of that. Those are the ones that the Lord seems to be able to say, well, those are the ones I'm going to I'm going to give them the earth. They're the ones that are going to inherit because I can trust them. Maybe. That's a new way of reading it that I hadn't thought of. Thank you for bringing it up. So I'm just going to end um, with a prayer that um, why don't we just close our eyes. Lord, I think we're all guilty as charged. Um, Dying to self. You know it's It's impossible for us, but with you, all things are possible, Lord. So we ask that you would intervene into our lives and keep us from the evil, specifically today, Lord, of avenging ourselves with our own hand, as David was tempted to do. And we notice that David was full of praise and blessing because he was kept from doing this thing. And, and just we stand here today blessing and praising you that you have kept us from doing more harm than we've done. And we ask that you would continue to intervene in our lives to help us to trust that you are our avenger, that we don't have to avenge ourselves, that you are our avenger. Lord, teach us how to love our neighbors and even our enemies It's the most difficult thing in the world, and yet that is what you have asked us to do. And you wouldn't have asked us knowing how weak we are without equipping us with your precious Holy Spirit to make it possible. We know that we can't do it on our own because our our own selves are just too puffed up. 
We don't have that ability. We act like children, Lord. Oh, God. David lost the satisfaction of his revenge, but he gained a freedom because he didn't have to enter into his kingship with dirtied hands. And Lord, we, we see what that means to, to lose ourselves and gain the world, gain your life, gain life in you. We are willing, Lord, to lose our self-motivated actions of avenging ourselves and we're willing to gain being closer knit with your precious heart of love and forgiveness. And we thank you that you are an avenging God, that you care for your children. And I ask that anyone here today who needs to speak more about this or really wonders about this walk of, of being a Christian and what it means that, that those persons would come forward and seek help from ministers here or those who, who have a solid walk in Jesus. And we just bless you today and we thank you for being able to meet together without fear for our lives. And we, we just thank you. Amen. You know, I'm, I've got to confess something. On Friday, I had spent, well, Saturday into Friday, well, Thursday into Friday, spent a lot of time working on the radio ministry and called Sister Florence to be at the church. And uh, she couldn't get her car, well, she couldn't get the emergency brake off. But I was running late. But that's not the problem. When I got to Marin City, I'm by the, coming by the shopping center, and there was a car on the side of me about to make a right turn into the shopping center, which they were supposed to. And so when the light turned green, because it was approaching, it was red, and it turned green right as I was about to cross, and the person not paying attention, just went straight ahead. And I had to slam on the brake and hit the horn to keep the person from hitting me. Now, my initial response was going to just kind of wave, that's okay. But when I didn't get that response from her, and I pulled up, rather than her being nice, she was pretty ugly. And said, go, go. I said, lady, you were in the wrong. In the wrong. You were supposed to turn right. That's not what I had in my heart the first time. It was just to say, that's okay. I'm on my way to prayer. (laughs) And I went on and I'm thinking, I wasn't planning for that. I was thinking she would just wait. Oh, I'm sorry. But I reacted. We have to be careful Regardless of what another person may do, how we respond. Oh, I forgave her as I got to the church. (laughs) But again, my response initially was just to, hey, that's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. But 
as I said, she made me go there. But, <laughs> but I, again, what do we do? I think this message is just tremendous. And what was the title, Sister Michelle? Revenge at first, though sweet. Revenge at, at first, though sweet. Amen. Stand to your feet, if you would. We're going to get ready to go. I think we have to remember that God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We have to allow God room to take care of. Now, it would have just been wonderful if I had just went to the lady. That's okay. May the Lord bless you today. She probably thought I would have been sarcastic, and I would have been. (laughs) Today, Lord, we pray that we will not take revenge ourselves, but that we will allow room for the Lord to respond. While we live in the tent of this body, there are many things that we face. And there's no one that can make us do something, but we choose to make the response and choose a response ourselves. When we pray that we will grow and that we will learn what God has for me, it requires that we are tested. And it will come at such a time that we're not even aware. And so may our first response not be one of revenge, but may it be, Lord, what are you teaching me right now? We love you today. We thank you. We lift up those that are here. And as we depart this place, be with us. We lift up Samantha in a special way. She, Lord, is making transitions. You will bless her and help her and keep her and her family. She raises her her child to love God and has her in the right atmosphere. The parents will know in this community, in this uh, service, in the churches, what it means to expose children to the word of God. We thank you today. And as we again depart this place, would you bless us and keep us? We lift up those that are dealing with cancer, those that are going through treatment right now. We lift up Kelly Thomas in a special way, praying that everything is okay with her. We just also lift up the family of Robert Fisher. We pray that in this place you will be honored. In our hearts and lives we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. See you there on Wednesday, those in Petaluma. God bless you.